What is truth? Seldom black and white, usually complex. The fifth column goes on the inside in search of it. Fifty years ago, the Berlin Wall went up, symbol of the Cold War, a threat to world peace and where John le Carre's spy came in from the cold. Jerry Northam reports. This bustling street filled with shops is Friedrichstrasse in Berlin and it contains a small white hut where the US Army kept watch at the most notorious border crossing of a city divided by a giant wall. This is Checkpoint Charlie, probably the clearest emblem of a city and a country torn in two. It was here that John le Carre and countless other writers and filmmakers set their plots filled with espionage and Cold War skullduggery. For more than 40 years after World War II, the West and the Soviet Union faced each other in a sullen confrontation which threatened several times to turn hot, which would mean precipitating the most devastating conflict in human history. Berlin and its 150 kilometre long wall came to symbolise this tension. I've come here to learn what happened when the Berlin Wall went up 50 years ago in the late summer of 1961. When West Berliners woke up this morning, East German People's Police had already been at work for several hours digging up roads and erecting barriers so as to reduce the more than 80 crossing points between the Western and Soviet sectors of the city to 13. It was Sunday the 13th of August 1961. For East Berliners in the city's Soviet sector, crossing to the West was now forbidden. To some, like the then 19-year-old Klaus Schulz-Ladegast, this seemed at first little more than an irritation. I was freshly in love and I thought I had found the woman of my dreams. Her grandmother had a place outside Berlin and that was where we were staying. We were not allowed to share a bedroom in those days and my girlfriend came in the morning and said the borders have been closed. Her first reaction was, my goodness, how am I going to get my nylon stockings now? Thousands of others quickly realised that they couldn't get to work the next day, their jobs being in the West. Families were suddenly divided, unable even to visit each other. Elke Kielberg, then a child, was cut off from her closest playmate. So you were living in the French sector in the West? Yes, I lived in the French sector, and in this part of Berlin it was particularly poignant because the houses and the church were in East Berlin, but the pavement outside of them was in the West. What impact did this have on you as a young girl? For me, it had massive effects because I grew up with a cousin who was one year older and who was living in the East, and we uh, used to play together a lot, and we were together a lot, and we also used to spend time at our grandmother's together. Our grandmother was living in the West, and all of that, of course, became impossible. News reporters in the West covering the British, French and American sectors of Berlin soon found East Berliners who had managed to trick their way across the border, often at great personal cost. Doctor, how did you get across? Well, I got across the border on Monday about 1.30 in the afternoon <clears throat> by obtaining a, 
identification card from one of my West Berlin friends. He gave it to me, and since our faces do match a little bit, except for the eye color, I thought I could make the run for freedom. Why did you leave East Germany? Well, I left East Germany since it is impossible there to work. You were a surgeon, I believe. I'm a, I'm a surgeon, and uh, since you have to treat people, and this people is actually blocked from everything. You get passes, the other people don't, and they ask you, well, you as a doctor, you get a pass any time you want to, but we never get one. And uh, this is, uh, well, actually a heartbreaking story when you get this from old people who can't go to see their children or children who can't see their families or their parents. Anymore. You've left your family behind there. Aren't you very worried about them? You've got, what, three children? I do feel worried, but I hope that there will be some way to get them out. So what had prompted this dramatic decision by the East German government? It was, to them, both a political and an economic necessity. The border with West Germany had long been closed by the so-called Iron Curtain, but in Berlin it was still possible for East Germans to cross the city and then use protected road and air routes to reach the West. In mid-1961, every day, thousands of them did just that. Norman Gelb, an American radio correspondent, knew this would not be allowed to go on. It amounted to hundreds of thousands, and then into a million, and then more. And in the days leading up to it, to the building of the wall, it became a hemorrhage. The most remarkable thing, people were fleeing of all kinds. There were doctors and scientists and engineers and teachers and carpenters and craftsmen of all kind. For the superpowers, the United States and the Soviet Union, Berlin became a focus of conflict. As Frederick Taylor recounts in his history of the Berlin Wall, to Russian Premier Nikita Khrushchev, it was almost literally a test of virility. He said at one point, West Berlin is like the testicles of the West. If I want to make them scream, I just squeeze. And that was true. So in 1958, he declared that he would make a separate peace treaty with his East German client state and would want then to renegotiate the situation and status of West Berlin within that East German state. The East German leader, Walter Ulbricht, wanted firm action to stop the flood of skilled refugees. But building a wall would break the international agreement on Berlin, and for this, he would need the consent of Moscow. Patrick Major, a historian at Reading University, has identified the moment this consent was finally won. When Kennedy went on television in the US on the 25th of July 1961 and made it clear that he was prepared to fight for West Berlin and threatened conventional and even nuclear war to do so. Even nuclear? Even nuclear war and was telling the American public that they would have to think about civil defence and mass shelter building for this, that within a couple of days, Khrushchev seems to have made his decision that enough was enough and he was prepared to give the green light to Ulbricht. Nothing was announced, of course. The huge logistical plan for closing 150 kilometres of border, codenamed Operation Rose, was prepared under the strictest secrecy. But just before the fateful weekend of the 12th and 13th of August, 
a young correspondent for the news agency Reuters, Adam Kellett-Long, picked up a hint that something was about to happen. He was the only Western reporter allowed to work in East Berlin, and while covering a routine meeting of the Communist Party, he got a scoop. I ran into my source, who was called Horst Zindemann. At that stage, he was head of the Agitprop, the propaganda department of the Socialist Unity Party, and that was the Communist Party committee. He later became prime minister, not much later, and he said, if I were you, I would not leave Berlin this weekend. And you decided to write something based on that and file it back as news copy to Reuters? On the Saturday morning, I decided I would write a story beginning, Berlin is holding its breath this sunny weekend, waiting for these German authorities to take drastic measures to stop the refugee flow into West Berlin. 26 years old, you were on your first posting and suddenly found yourself in the middle of one of the biggest stories in the world. What was the reaction of your superiors back in London? Well, they published the story. The news editor in Bonn came to me and his words were, what are you going to do about this? You've put us out on a limb. What are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to wait for whatever's going to happen to happen because I'm quite sure it is. And then late that night... I began to feel extremely nervous. What what am I going to write? The phone went. So I went to the phone, I picked it up, and a voice said, don't go to bed tonight, in German. Did you know who it was? No. I haven't a clue. Just after one in the morning, a message came through on the Reuters teleprinter. It was a statement from the Warsaw Pact announcing the closure of the border. Adam's wife Mary recorded the events that followed in the diary she kept during his Berlin posting. She read from it for this BBC programme. Soon after the announcement came, the streets were filled with lorries and motorbikes and police cars were rushing along with their sirens wailing. At one stage during the night, Adam went down to the Brandenburg Gate but was not allowed through. When he came back, he was white to the lips and said that the streets were full of soldiers and lorries pulling guns and the soldiers and police all had submachine guns. Of course, this frightened me, but I managed to control myself and got over it in a short time. I have never seen so many policemen and soldiers in my life. There are also things called factory fighting groups, which consist of factory workers dressed up in uniform, toting machine guns. The barrier was people, the factory fighting guards, the whole way along that border. It was an amazing operation. To hear more of our podcasts and to have your say, visit our website, www.thefifthcolumn.co.uk